Hey, let me add my word of welcome. We're delighted in your presence today. So glad that you could worship with us. Also, we're so thankful to have those worshiping with us online. We invite you to participate with us every week. Now, we've been doing this series on prayer, and we said that we grew up praying prayers, right, that we were taught as children, and some of those were memorized prayers. But maybe as we grew up, our prayer life didn't grow up with us. And that's what we've been talking about this whole month. If you want to go back, you can look at previous messages that we've done and hear about them, learn about them, and listen. And today we're going to be wrapping this series up. Now today as we get started, I want to talk about a new perspective. And I want to just ask you this question. I want you to really get in tune with me right now and, and listen to me. And, and this is what I'm going to ask you. If you were to look back over your life, when were the times? Can you think of a time, an, an experience, where you had one perception of things and you got some new information, things changed, and you actually changed your mind and changed your opinion about something. Maybe you thought one way and God convicted you and then you began to think another way. Maybe some friend talked to you and gave you some new information. You got some new facts and you began to see things differently. The point is, has there been a time in your life when you were willing to change? Maybe change something that you've embraced for many, many years. You've been willing to just surrender and say, you know what? I'm willing to go in a different direction. Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, I was a junior in high school. We had a youth group back then. Our youth group at the church was very active. I thought all youth groups were like that. We had a big group of young people. We went to Nashville, Tennessee. We made an album. That's a really big CD for those of you who are not familiar with that. We traveled around. through. Back then, you could go to the high schools and go in and witness and sing and talk about Jesus. This is a long time ago, okay? <clears throat> but anyway... That's what we did. And so, but also I was an athlete. And so I hung out with all my buddies that were athletes. And I was really struggling between those two cultures, the culture of my youth group and the culture of the world, basically, is what it boiled down to. And so I was having a hard time. The, the middle of my junior year, about January of my junior year, I rededicated my life to Christ and it changed everything. My whole perspective on everything changed because, you know, when you're in high school, it could be that you're focused on being popular in high school, right? And now all of a sudden that really didn't matter to me because that really wasn't reality anyway. I was leaving. I mean, have you ever seen the person who was voted uh, most likely to be popular, right? And then later on they're not that popular, okay? Things change. And so, you know, what we realize is that in life, is it really that pop important to be popular in high school? Because when high school is over, everything changes. Your world gets so much bigger. That's just kind of blown out of the water. You follow me? 
Okay. And then here's the second illustration. I started a preschool at a previous church I served, and we started a preschool here when I got here. There was another church I served that didn't have a preschool. When I got there, I said, we really ought to build a children's building, and we need to have a preschool. The children's building we had was antiquated. It was built the same year I was born. It wasn't big enough. It wouldn't accommodate us. And I said, we ought to do that. We can start a preschool. Because what will happen is that will attract young adults with small children. They'll want to be a part of the church family. I had a buddy a couple of blocks away. He did the same thing. He said all of a sudden there were so many young people, young adults and children coming to the church because they had the preschool and it was just another place they could come and feel safe. And so I, I talked to him about it and this was their mindset. This is, this is where they were. They said, well, if we start a preschool, won't that discourage the mothers from staying home with their kids? And I said, they, they, they're not at home with their kids now. They've already left. They've gone to work. They're already out there. You know, it's not something we can change. It, we're not in the 1950s anymore. I mean, there are some who might do that, but, but you know, it's, it's a reality is what I was trying to say. Now, I say that, and listen, I'm all for it. If you want to stay home with your kids, I'm all for it. Believe me, I love it. My wife really wanted to stay home and did that some, and, and I wanted her to. That was fine. But what I'm saying is, there are a lot of families that are two-income families, okay? And we can't say, well, it'll discourage them from staying home if they're already out there at work, you know, by building a preschool. Let's just try to accommodate the needs of the people around us because we might meet a physical need that might allow us to meet a spiritual need later on. So it just kind of, they had to think beyond their mindset and see something much bigger than the way they had always believed. You follow what I'm saying? And so that's what I want us to look at today because there are paradigms and there are narratives and there are prejudices and there are experiences that lock us in to see things the way we see them and we may not even be aware of it. Now listen, human nature resists change. Did you know that? Human nature resists change. How many of you like change? You like change. Okay. How many of you don't like change? Well, it depends on what the change is. <laughs> you know, I change my mind all the time. And if I'm changing, okay. But if somebody else wants me to change, not so good, okay? That's where I struggle, right? That's really the way we are. But it's not your fault because human nature resists change. And here's what we resist. We resist the things that we don't control and the things that we don't understand. That's what we resist, okay? And if you grew up grow, praying prayers, but your prayer life didn't grow up with you, then it's time for change. Wouldn't you agree? And so what we want to change is we want to grow spiritually. We don't want to just stay the same that we've always been. Because listen, our whole lives we've been changing, haven't we? I mean, for the better, hopefully. Well, I mean, we, if we're Christians, we're not the same person today that we were when we first became a Christian because we've grown, haven't we? And that's what we want to do. So change is inevitable. And if you want to evaluate your prayers, you know, in your relationship to God, how you view God, just look at your prayers. Because many times what we do is we reduce God to a conscience cleanser with a short memory. We just go to him when we're in trouble. Most of our prayers are forgive me, give me, rescue me, rescue somebody that I love, right? 
And if you want to understand your view of God, just listen to yourself when you pray. Your prayers reflect that view of God. Now, we've learned in the past three weeks that the purpose of prayer is what? <clears throat> to align our will with God. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. If most of our prayers are about save me, rescue me, help me, save the people I love, where is the surrender in that? Where are we allowing God to align our will with him? You see, because once we surrender to him, we've already made those decisions. We don't have to do that anymore. We've decided, hey, I'm just going to align my will. And where do we get that from the Lord's prayer? What does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that doesn't say my kingdom come, my will be done. But listen now, if you pray that prayer all the time, your will be done, your kingdom come, how open are you to having your prayer answered? Preach it. Or are you just looking for, now, wait a minute, I, I like things the way I like them. And if everybody else would just like it the way I like it, everything would be fine, Right. Hi, I'm Joe. I love you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life, right? That's, that doesn't work that way, does it? Now, that kind of language, your will be done, your kingdom come, rarely gets into our prayer life. Because instead of surrender, we're always seeking forgiveness, and we're seeking to be rescued. But the first thing he says, the purpose of prayer is to align our will with God's. And that's going to just blow us out of the water. That changes our whole perspective. And it teaches us how to pray grown-up prayers. Jesus and his disciples are getting together and they're talking. And we're going to talk about this. But here's what I want you to see. We resist the changes that Jesus requires. Well, we don't want to hear that, do we? We resist the changes that Jesus requires. So I want you to pray a really bold prayer today, and I want you to say, you know, Jesus, I want you to tell me. Lord, just tell me. Holy Spirit, convict me. Just tell me what you want me to hear so that my will will be aligned with your will. And then just listen to God because you can trust him. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to take my word for it. Listen to what he says and do what he says because human nature resists change. And so what happens is Philip gets really frustrated. They're talking. The disciples are meeting with him. And what does he say? He blurts out to Jesus. He says, well, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us, okay? In other words, we're trying to believe. We're trying to catch on. We're trying to get it. Well, just show us the Father. We just want to see more. Just show us the Father, and then that will be good enough for us. We'll be ready to go. What does Jesus say then? Jesus answered, and he said, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, he's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But here's the, here's the rub today, okay? How many of us, how many of the folks in the Bible, how many of us really see Jesus? How many of us really see him? How many of us see him when he's asking us to do something new and something different? How many of us see us when he's asking us to step out of our comfort zone? How many of us really see beyond our own past 
and our own personalities and our own prejudices in order to really see. Because there's a lot of people that say, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up. I don't really want to hear about that, okay? Following Jesus requires change. It requires change. And so if human nature resists change, then if it's something I can't control, something I don't understand, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to surrender to God. And that explains why the first century leaders struggled and resisted to see Jesus. They were looking at him, and they couldn't see him because he blew their whole system out of the water. He says, all the stuff that you thought was important, we're going to do things differently now. He said, we're not going to do things the way we always did it. It's not just about the Passover anymore. It's about me. When you have communion, communion is going to be about me and my body and my blood. It's going to be totally different. And they didn't understand that. And it's why they struggled, because they wanted Jesus. They wanted a Messiah who's going to do what they wanted. We want a Messiah who comes in power. We want a Messiah who's going to come, and he's going to just blow up the Roman government. He's going to be strong and mighty, and we're not going to be oppressed people anymore. And we're going to be surrendered to God, and we're going to be in charge now, and everything's going to be great. And that's why Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus, if you would just do things the way I want you to do them, everything would be fine. But Jesus said, that's not the way it's going to be. My kingdom is going to be very different from the one that you have a perspective. And in fact, all of his followers became fleers when they arrested him and they took him to the cross. They just kind of scattered. And all of a sudden, because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. But you can trust that these gospel events are true. Why? Because they talked about the fact that Peter denied Jesus. You know, if that wasn't true, they, they wouldn't have told that. They would, the author wouldn't have wanted to tell that. That wouldn't be a good selling feature. Well, one of his main disciples betrayed him, right? They wouldn't want to tell that. And so you know that it's true. In fact, they probably would have just left that out altogether. But they say, no, this is what really happened. Why? Because you and I identify with Peter, don't we? We know what it's like to mess up in our relationship with God. And God wanted us to know that we're human just like the people in the Bible and that we're going to have struggles too. And so they'd been with him three years, and they thought they were pretty much up to speed on Jesus. What they found out was, hey, we got a whole lot more to learn we didn't even realize. And the Scripture goes on, the day before they entered Jerusalem, Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. And here's what he says. <clears throat> Jesus took the twelve aside. And he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him. Now, what he's saying is, this is what's getting ready to happen to me. And he's telling who? He's telling his followers this. Now, listen, if they had understood and they had been paying attention, what would they probably have said? You know what, Jesus? I think that that sounds like a dangerous thing you're getting ready to do. This could be dangerous. You go first, okay? In fact, that's not what we signed up for when we said follow you. Follow you is easy, okay? But now this part is really not that easy. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go back and start fishing again, okay? Because that's what we know, and we're not real crazy about getting killed, okay? Just because we follow you. 
But it says this in the scripture. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. They didn't get it, okay? It just blew their mind. They didn't understand. And it wasn't that they couldn't understand the message. It was that they were unable to hear, they were unable to see, and they were unable to accept something so radical. Lord, show me what you want me to see. I'm looking. Lord, tell me what you want me to hear. I'm listening. Lord, show me how to accept things. I'll be glad to do it. Wait around. I'm going to turn around and go the other way while you're telling me to do that, right? That's the way we live. And so what happens is we are raised on a narrative. And that narrative helps us follow the rules of life. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, I'm not starting a new kingdom the way you think I am. And it's not going to be about overthrowing the Roman government. And all their background and all that they knew, the ancient understanding of God and all the superstitions, he was going to change it. They thought they knew Jesus, but they were wrong. And they were wrong. You know, and after listening to him and talking with him and camping out with Jesus, what did they do? You know, he's getting ready to die and they're going, hey, listen, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit on your right and can I sit on your left? And he's going, oh, man, are you killing me? I mean, that's where that emoji came from, I'm sure, right? You know, these guys are not getting it, okay? They just You see that all the time, and I'm sure that came from something like that, right? And so what happens is just a few days later, he's been teaching them all this stuff. They come to a Samaritan village. They get in the village. Samaritans and Jews don't like each other. And the Samaritan people say, you are not welcome here. In other words, you can't spend the night in our town. How about that? Talk about the welcome wagon. Talk about the chamber of commerce. I mean, this is not a place you want to spend time in. So what do the disciples do? Listen, this will blow your mind. The disciples, these guys who are following Jesus, they're supposed to be like him. They're supposed to be teaching his thoughts and his beliefs. They go to Jesus and they say, you know what? They won't let us spend the night here. Let's just call down fire from heaven and consume them. Can you imagine praying that prayer to Jesus? But can you imagine looking him in the eye and asking him if it'd be okay? That just blows my mind. And it would be 20 years until they would catch on to what Jesus was trying to teach them. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if... You have love one for another. They weren't getting it, okay? Now, if you're a Jesus follower, then you've got to get rid of something, and that's arrogance. Because arrogance says, I call the shots. Arrogance says, I make the decisions. Arrogance says, I'm in charge. Arrogance dismisses anything new. And God says, it's humility that Jesus showed that I want you to show so that I can show you something new. It takes humility to change. It takes that approach to things every single day, every relationship, every decision, because we think we know it all. But guess what? We don't know it all. Look at the person next to you and say, you don't know it all. Go ahead and tell them that right now. <laughs> Some of you enjoyed that way too much, I can just tell you. Now, now, there's something, hey, don't be bailing off and telling them what they don't know, okay? We, this is my time. Y'all talk after the service, okay? But here's the deal. It goes on in Micah, and it says this. 
He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Now, when I, when I talk about change, hold on right there. When I talk about change, this is what I'm talking about changing to, okay? Okay, he says, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk arrogantly with your God. Is that what it says? To walk humbly because the humble person is a teachable person. You know, if we're not open to be taught, we're not open, okay? And so that's what he's telling us. It's no surprise what Jesus requires. And then he goes on and says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And that's what he's calling us to do, the will of God, aligning our will with God's will. Throughout the New Testament, people in the Bible, we read the Bible, Old Testament, New, they couldn't see in the New Testament, they couldn't see Jesus. You look at them, they, they couldn't always see. They were looking at him, but they couldn't see him. And, and it happened to people all the time. There was a wealthy young man. He came to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? He said, well, follow the commandments. He said, I already do that. He said, okay. He said, give away all your money and come and follow me. And by the way, when he's telling the wealthy man to come into the rich guy to come follow him, he's not talking about like follow me in the 21st century, okay? It's a lot easier for us. We're just supposed to follow his example and try to live that way. He's saying, no, I want you to give away all that you have. And then I want you to come and follow me. Live with me. Let's do life together. I want you to go with me, and, and you're just going to follow me from now on. And that's what he was asking me to do. And what got in his way? What kept him from doing that? His wealth. He went away very sad because the man was very wealthy. So wealth got in his way. The invitation is to follow Jesus. Are we willing to follow Jesus? Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man who was a scholar. Nicodemus was a, a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. He was a man who knew a lot. He was a man who had a position. He was a man who had a reputation. He was a man who had had a theology that he had based his whole life on. And when he came to Jesus, and notice he came at night, he was hiding out. I'm going to sneak over to see Jesus and talk to him, right? Because I, I might get in trouble if I'm seen with him. What did he have to do? Nicodemus was going to have to just change everything to follow Jesus. He was going to have to give up his past, his theology, his reputation. Because a lot of times we're wrapped up in our reputation. I want to be the most popular in high school, right? And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the most popular in high school. And if that's not quite following Jesus, that's okay, right? And that's what we do in life, not just in high school. It takes enormous humility to, to give up our own ideas and our agenda and our political persuasion and our perspective because it's built on our public reputation. It's difficult for us to recognize the truth, we have a standing in the community. We have a reputation. We may have a good income. And so he's asking us to just change everything we've done before. And the Pharisees couldn't see beyond their own prejudice because what they saw Jesus doing was doing the things they taught people not to do. Well, he's associating with sinners. Hello. I mean, he's taking care of people and spending time with them. Do you know what he did? He, he had lunch with a tax collector, Matthew. I mean, that's, that's just not right. 
That's not the way we've always done things. That's just not something. I, he can't be from God if he did that. The behavior, the sinner, I just can't take it. Pharisee is a, uh, Simon is a Pharisee. And he has Jesus to his house, and there are people there. And what happens is that, that he's sizing Jesus up. And then there's a woman who, who is considered a sinner by the temple leaders, but they just, she just followed Jesus. Because people just want, people who need Jesus are going to follow Jesus, right? And this woman, she definitely knows that. People who think they're too arrogant and too good, they're not going to follow Jesus. But the people who are humble, they're like, okay, save me. I, I give, I surrender. I'm ready to go. And she took the role of a servant. And what did she do? She washed his feet with perfume and her tears. And Simon's watching it, and what is he thinking to himself? Well, he can't be a prophet because look what he's doing. He's allowing that woman to get close to him and touch him, and she is a sinner. In fact, it says in the Scripture, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And what Jesus is saying to Simon is, you can't see what she can see because you're distracted by all the stuff that you built your life around. All the stuff that you think is important that's not important. Your reputation and your position and your beliefs and all that stuff is keeping you from doing what this poor woman's easily going to do. She already sees me for who I am. They can't see Jesus. She can. Can you see Jesus really? Is there stuff in your way? Are you distracted by the world? Have you made priorities out of stuff that God says, that's not important? How in the world can you make that number one on your list? You know, you don't even need that. That's something you need to let go of. So he tells them a parable. And then he says, Simon, she can see what you can't. And what he's saying is it takes humility, not arrogance, to see Jesus. Because you can't see past your own self-righteousness. Wait a minute now, that's, that's just getting a little bit too much. He's asking too much. He, he's talking too much. I mean, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Listen to this. Simon, your pride has locked you in to your perspective. But Simon, your pride has locked me out. And I can have no place because you won't let me in. You have limitations. You have an inability to see what this woman can see. She recognizes very easily. And so then he goes on and he says, Then Jesus said to her, to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Now, see, they're still locked in their own perspective. Who does he think he is? First of all, he comes in, lets this woman come in, then she comes over and touches him and cleans his feet, and now he's forgiven her sin. Hello? Doesn't he know we're the religious leaders? We'll decide who gets to do that and who doesn't. I mean, that's what they're saying, right? And that's a great question. You know, who, who has given him the authority to do? They couldn't see it, but the woman could. Do you see Jesus? Do we see Jesus? Do we really see him for who he is? Or is that arrogance camouflaging and making us blind? And then their inability to see and understand Jesus you know, holds them back because what Jesus is saying, you've got to retreat to a posture of humility. You just got to let go and trust and move that way. 
And, and, and if those people in that day who were looking at Jesus could miss him, do you think it's possible for us to miss Jesus? Do you think it's possible for us to just listen to the world so much that all of a sudden the values of the Christian faith don't match up with the values of the culture? But we just kind of go with the flow because that's what our friends do. That's what everybody else does. And, you know, it's got to be okay. You know, that'll work out. There's no conflict there between those things. If they missed him, will we? The prayer that I want us to pray today is a prayer of openness. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer that recognizes God's infinite opportunity for us, but his intimate relationship with us. We can't stop seeking. We can't stop asking. We can't stop knocking. The apostle Paul says he wants to renew our minds every day. God does. And we have to let him do that. So today I want to suggest a short prayer, and it comes from this encounter of Jesus and Bartimaeus. It tells us this in Scripture. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then it goes on, and what happens next is important. Jesus has a way of making this unreal because what Jesus is about to do is amazing, it's convicting, and it's inspiring. Jesus is going to his death, and somebody comes up needing help, and he says, You know what? This is not a good time. I'm too busy. I can't help. Do you realize who I am and where I'm going? I'm sorry, but I don't have time for you. That's not what Jesus says. And it says that Jesus stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And then what happened? He said, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Did you know that that's a prayer? That's a prayer. You may not recognize it as a prayer, but what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God and making our requests known to God. What did he say? Lord, I'm talking to you. I want to see. That's a prayer <laughs> right there. And it's a prayer. It's simple, isn't it? It's sweet. It's just open. He, there's no, he's not wishy-washy about what he wants, is he? It's very simple. This is what I want. And so Jesus stopped and took care of him. It may not strike you as a prayer, but it is. Lord, I want to see. And then Jesus responded to him. And Jesus said this. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. He followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Listen, when you see God in action, when your eyes are open and you can see it's God, you celebrate. If you can't see God, you don't celebrate, can you? Talk about, talk about. But if you, but if you see it, you're gonna talk about, gonna celebrate, celebrate because it, because it is real. Receive your Savior, and, and immediately, Bartimaeus opened his eyes, his eyes, and he could see. And see, and Bartimaeus, yes, and a blind man could could see. These other folks couldn't couldn't see, had sight because they were so distracted, distracted with stuff in the world that they decided was important in their mind. 
And so they could not see Jesus. But Bartimaeus said, hey, there's nothing to distract me. <laughs> I, I got my eyes open, man. I'm so thankful I can see. Lord, I want to see. Now listen, if you won't surrender to God and allow him to help you see, you're going to spend the rest of your life in darkness. That's not where you want to live. There is no alternative to surrender. It's not about my will, my plans, my desires. It's about humility. It's about surrender. It's giving up resistance and accepting what's required. It's saying yes to God. And then I don't have to live in darkness. We don't want to miss Jesus. The purpose of prayer is to align our will with him. Now, there are three things that hold us up, our past and our personality and our prejudices. Our past, the things in our lives, our background, our experiences, our upbringing, our religion, our joys, our sorrows, our privileges, our pain, those things can get in our way. We can hold on to the past too long, okay? Then our personality, the way we're wired, the way our temperament is, that can keep us from following Jesus. Our prejudices, the way we prefer things. You know, what are you going to do if you get to heaven? And God doesn't do things the way you want him to. Lord, don't you know the way we've always done it before? And, and you know, I want my preferences in heaven, you know. And God says, no, no, we, we're in a new place now. We're not going to go that route. We're going to do something totally different. And guess who gets to change? You, you get in an argument with God. Let's see who wins, okay? Get back to me on that because God's in charge. And the lenses that we have from the past, the scales just need to fall away so that we can see from a new perspective. Bartimaeus' prayer is the prayer we pray. Lord, I want to see. But now if you pray that prayer, you've got to be willing to change, okay? I've got to get past the things that make me angry. I got to get past my own frustrations. I got to get past those folks that get on my nerves. I got to get past my worry. I got to get past my fear. I got to get past my temptation. I just got to pray. That's what I got to do. And it's got to be from the heart and it's got to be real. Enable me to see. And then Jesus goes on and he says this If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now listen, when I, when I talked last week about leaving the Methodist church, and that was all I had known, and I, I, but I just, I just felt like the church and what I felt God calling me to do were just going like this more and more. And for years, I was unhappy and, and struggling with it, and I just got to the place, I told you last week, where I had to say, Lord, you know, I love you more than I love the church. I love you more than I love my past. I love you more than what's comfortable. I, I got to go in a different direction. I can't do business as usual anymore. I sure can't ask other folks to follow me that way. And it's not because I'm perfect. It's just because I'm, I'm convicted. And we got to go in a different direction. And if you were here, you made that decision too. And so what I want you to see is today that, that I had peers, and I, I pray for them. I, I, my heart grieves for them. And some of them are wanting to leave. But, but during that time period, we were having elections for delegates to go to conferences and stuff. And I saw some of my peers, and they were fighting and jockeying with each other to get in positions so that they might be seen, so that they might be recognized, so that they might be in leadership. And I thought to myself, they are fighting over rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. 
you see, it's not like I'm in high school anymore and I want to be popular. I, I don't care about all that stuff. Who cares about that? That's not reality. That's just reputation, perception, position, and it doesn't, it, it's not worth anything. It's worthless. And God says, no, you got to get past all those distractions because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So today I, I want to ask you to pray a bold prayer. And I want you to be serious about it. And the prayer is simply this, Lord, I really do want to see. I want to see whatever you want me to see, whatever you want to show me. I want, I want to see it. And if it means i got to change, then I, I want you to show it to me. I want you to help me do it. Lord, that's our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, <laughs>